Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Present and accounted for on a Thursday afternoon, our last show of the week in a live form. Tomorrow's show will be a preview edition of the Orange and Clemson on a game day of Friday. We're jacked up for uh, football weather in the air. Starting to see some of the uh, orange and purple of Clemson fans in town. Uh, a few trying to figure out just how to load up that parking meter down here in Armory Square and find their way to uh, our eateries and establishments as uh, they get themselves settled here in central New York. And it'll be football time at the Carrier Dome on a Friday night at 7 o'clock. The Orange and the Clemson Tigers trying to have a reprisal, I think, from a Syracuse perspective of the last time Clemson came to the Dome, which was a one-touchdown game in the fourth quarter. Orange wound up losing 37-27 in the 2015 season. Yesterday on the show, we had Dabo Sweeney. We also had the Clemson play-by-play announcer, Don Munson. You'll hear snippets and re-airs of those interviews on tomorrow's show as the guys get you set for the game and then our uh, pregame Really gets rolling in earnest at 4 o'clock. Network show begins at 6 o'clock and kickoff 7.02 in the Dome. Hope to see you there. Gave away a couple of uh, tickets at the Dino Babers show last night. That's four more people that are in the house and uh, hope people do take advantage of really a great opportunity to see college football at its best right now. Clemson as the national champion loaded again. Uh, likely headed to the national championship again, barring uh, some sort of disaster on uh, its part. But uh, looks like it could be a collision course with Alabama for the third straight year. But then again, that's why they play the games. And you never know how that might shake out still a little time. They've got Georgia Tech after Syracuse. And so uh, while the Orange will give it their best shot, uh, Georgia Tech is always kind of a fluky opponent and uh, can throw a wrench in the works too. So uh, an exciting time in the college football season with that to come. What a game last night. The Yankees beating the Indians. Earldest Chapman with a two-inning save and uh, great at-bat by Brett Gardner to keep the game alive. At least uh, the Yankees had the lead at that point, but to uh, put it away and get it uh, closer to certainty for New York. Steven Strasburg, we talked about uh, bailing on his team, the mold, the air conditioning, used as excuses by Dusty Baker in Chicago, and then he turns around and flat out shoves it. Seven shutout innings, three hits. He struck out 12 in a terrific postseason performance. Was was that a long con all the way, Polly? Is it Was that his version of the Kurt Schilling? I can't get my head around what happened there. It, like, why would you even talk about it if you're going to end up pitching anyways? And, you know, just. I think Strasburg's a different kind of cat. But you just got to pitch. Whether you're sick or not in that situation, right? It's funny, and, and talking with Coach Babers about it off the air last night, and I was trying to explain it to him, and I know he's minimally aware because he does pay attention to the rest of the sports world but can only uh, be on kind of a superficial level. He only has so much time, and he's uh, diving deeply into uh, his team all the time. But I would kind of said before the show to him yesterday and just sort of bringing him up to speed on, on that situation, hey, Dusty Baker goes out and he kind of protects Scherzer, who – 
in Baber's speak, had an owie and just wasn't ready to go, but Baker goes out there and spins all this stuff about the air conditioning and the mold, and it gets uh, Strasburg off the hook to a degree. And then the more I think about it, I might be leaning toward the way I heard it referred to this morning on talk radio that the way Dusty Baker said, hey, look, all my guys are under the weather right now. That actually kind of impugns Strasburg a little bit because it kind of puts him in the category of singling himself out. And I wonder what it ended up being the case that got him back to the point where he started. It's either he legitimately felt like a million bucks and, oh, I feel better and uh, can't believe how well I recovered and exceeded my expectations. Let's go. Or his agent got after him, or the teammates got after him, or the management got after him. At any rate, he winds up throwing one of the best starts in recent memory in the postseason. But even if you're sick, right, you got to pitch in that situation, right? Well, I would say so. You don't even talk about it. Unless you feel like you're going out there is going to put the team in jeopardy. And and I don't know how many examples there are because it's hard for us to laud the guy who does that. Uh, hey, coach, so-and-so is going to give us a better chance to win than me. Um, and it's hard to know whether that's actually true. But I, I do think the overwhelming uh, way of looking at it is, look, you got to at least give it a go. And worst-case scenario, he gets roughed up in the first inning, and then they uh, go to a plan B. Well, for the average fan, Steven Strasburg saying, I'm allergic to – I'm having a mold allergy right now. I ran I half a mile and I, I was wheezing. I can't work? Come on. Well, some guys up on a roof and, you know, 90-degree heat, you know, like the average fan can't can't get his head around, I have a mold allergy. His teammate Max Scherzer, who I think is universally thought around baseball as being a great guy and a bulldog, says, hey, I'll give you anything I got. I, I just, and he just threw 100 pitches uh, a couple days prior. So uh, the win for the Nats last night, Nats now home for Game 5 of that series against the Cubs. So uh, one great sports day after another. And uh, on the show today, we're going to kind of get off the beaten path a little bit. Obviously, our main theme of the week is to uh, get people excited for the Orange and Clemson the Dome on Friday. We can take your questions or comments by phone on that if you'd like at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44, area code 315. We're going to visit with Bob Wischusen. He's an ESPN uh, television play-by-play man, football and basketball on the college side, but also is the radio play-by-play voice of the New York Jets. That was our original reason to bring him on is the Jets and the Pats this Sunday, and the Jets find themselves in a three-way tie for first place in the AFC East, and Bob was uh, kind enough to be flexible. We were originally going to have him on yesterday's show, and uh, he was able to postpone that a day. He also is a big Yankee follower. He was great on Twitter last night to follow his comments and getting into the the nitty-gritty of the, the game there, and uh, Bob has Michigan and Indiana this week on ESPN, so we'll touch base with him. And then I guess we're going to do it, Polly. I'm calling the bluff here, and we're going to get into a little soccer. Uh, it's not going to take much for me to play dumb uh, on this because I know uh, just enough to be dangerous. But uh, we're going to visit with a friend of a friend named Paul Mares, who literally wrote the book on how and why the way U.S. soccer players are groomed is not conducive to performing well on the, the national stage. And uh, they laid out the scenario by which I should say international stage, um, by which the uh, U.S. would miss a World Cup and create disaster and rants and people going crazy on Twitter. The, my one question is, can they recover from this? Is the U.S. Well, capable of recovering out. from... I'm sure they are, right? 
We are a nation, Polly, that sent somebody to the moon. We could find a way to get a little ball in the back of the net once in a while. I have more faith in getting back to the moon than I do of getting back to the World Cup. <laughs> At least we have, we have a machine. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, get into those types of things as we continue. One little factoid that went across uh, Twitter here just prior to the start of our show is that uh, Pitt quarterback Max Brown is now going to have season-ending shoulder surgery. So uh, that was the reason. We didn't know for sure why he left. We knew it was injury. He went back to the locker room uh, during the game. I guess we may have said on the, our broadcast that it was a shoulder injury. But he is uh, out for the year, that being reported out of Pittsburgh. And so that means uh, Syracuse has played six teams this year, and two of the quarterbacks not only have not played the next game, they haven't played any games since. So Max Brown won't play the rest of the season. And uh, Brent Stockstill of Middle Tennessee has not played after that game here, which uh, Middle Tennessee won. Um, and that is reminiscent of, you know, in the Scott Schaefer era as defensive coordinator, they knocked out a lot of quarterbacks. And and maybe not uh, permanently or, or, you know, going to miss games, but Syracuse won games where they are playing the backup quarterback and uh, helped them get to the pinstripe bowl. And uh, – not that your intent is to injure or to knock out for the season, but your intent is to make the quarterback uncomfortable. And if that's what's happening now uh, with the Syracuse defense, I think it's a good sign. It's a you know they're blitzing more and they're doing some things differently uh, than they certainly did last year. And one of the biggest things, of course, is not uh, permitting the same level of big plays. So, uh, not nobody's celebrating Max Brown's injury, but it is I think indicative of the heat being placed on the quarterback by the uh, Syracuse defense at this point. They did not, not only did they not knock Brent Stockstill of Middle Tennessee out of the game, Stockstill led three straight scoring drives and won the game for Middle Tennessee, but he has not uh, played since. And uh, Max Brown now of Pittsburgh out for the year. So they'll go with Ben DiNucci, who's a sophomore. And they had started him against Georgia Tech. He had played considerably against Oklahoma State, both losses. And now that's all Pitt has at this point going forward. And they're now... Two and four on the season. The Orange three and three. They take on six and zero Clemson here in the Dome Friday night at seven. When we continue, Bob with shoes from the New York Jets and ESPN. He'll be with us in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse Monday as Hall of Famer Floyd Little talks SU football with Steve and Seth on Orange Nation. Brought to you by Drivers Village and William Matar. We are the pulse of the Orange. ESPN Radio ninety seven point seven and one hundred point one. It's a Friday night game as the Clemson Tigers invade the Dome. Pre-game at 5, kickoff at 7. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back on the show here until 3 o'clock today. Tomorrow, a preview edition of the Orange football game as the Cuse takes on Clemson in the Dome. A 7 o'clock Friday night start. And then on into the weekend where we get to watch other games on Saturday and Sunday. Looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to visiting with our friend Bob Wischusen of uh, ESPN and the New York Jets. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm great, man, and I enjoyed uh, not only watching the Yankee game last night, but seeing you and others chiming in. Yankee Twitter was uh, very enjoyable over the course of the game yesterday. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of pro-Joe Girardi Twitter. So you don't, want to, you don't want to fire him now? I mean, the fact that there are people that would completely discount how he handled this unbelievably young team. All these guys that went through roller coaster seasons, and all of them pretty much to a man at some point came out of it. Not give them any credit for that. And take 10 years and a championship season and flush it because he had a bad moment. 
And he admittedly had a bad moment in game two. You don't flush a 10-year career because of one bad moment. And so I think the fact that he got booed was shameful at Yankee Stadium. And I think every single Yankee fan that booed him should give him a standing ovation when they get introduced for the ALCS. Because I think he's a good manager and he deserves better. Well, that would be fantastic to see the Yankees advance to uh, play the Astros. Last night, really a a compelling game in a lot of ways. And I think there's some great discussions that come out of this. I, I had a chat. Uh, briefly yesterday with Coach Babers before we were taping the, the pregame interview about whether it's prudent to admit your mistake in a situation like Joe Girardi. And, and I admit I wasn't watching th- that game at that time. I, I joined it late, so I've kind of whiffed on exactly you know exactly how big a mistake it was in the moment. But it, it, you know, it seems to be so one-sided that he blew it in terms of uh, missing a replay. And then, of course, he called for the grand slam to be hit by the other team after that, and, uh, but then he exactly. does he does throw himself under under the bus, and I, I wonder how many opportunities managers and coaches that we watch in all sports uh, they could admit their goofs, but they also that would be run with in a detrimental way. I think a lot too. Yeah, but admitting your goof is a lot better than alibying out something that everyone knows you screwed up. There you go. I mean, if the whole world knows you screwed up, and you know you screwed up. To go in front of everyone afterwards and say, I was worried about the rhythm of my pitcher. <laughs> I mean, what pitcher isn't going to feel a much better rhythm getting a strikeout rather than bases loaded, you know, with the entire stadium coming down on his head? You know what? If you think you be a review can get me a strikeout, disrupt my rhythm. Yeah, rhythm, schmidt. Go to, go to replay. Do whatever you have to do. So, I mean, his... His I'm an old catcher, I didn't want to disrupt Green's rhythm argument was silly. But you're right, um, it's somehow in the Yankee fans' minds that want to crucify Girardi, they somehow think when he failed the challenge, that automatically meant that the ball just got placed in the right field seats for a grand slam and it was all <laughs> on him. There's no rule that said Green had to give up a grand slam <laughs> on the next pitch. But, um, you know, he may have called it eventually, which is what he should do. I just think it's so ridiculous to take a 10-year career and boil it down to one moment. It's I'm not with fair. And now John Farrell's gone and, and the rest. We didn't bring you on to talk baseball, but I, I could. I mean, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, it's just everybody's gone. Every manager stinks. Every decision yeah. they make is the wrong one. And uh, let's fire them all. Bob, Bob yeah, Wischusen right. is with us. And, uh, well, the, the Jets, Bob, all of a sudden, we're not bringing you on to uh, talk about tanking. What's going on here with uh, the Jets and Pats this weekend? And uh, people were getting excited about the Bills, and they're all in a logjam at the moment. Yeah, no one saw this coming, obviously. Um, You know, the whole whole theme of the Jets tanking was, I mean, I get where the fans and the media went with that, but I thought all along it was misconstrued. Um, It might be semantics. But I think what they were doing last offseason was just admitting what they were and where they were and who they were and the situation that they were in. They had a bunch of old guys that couldn't play anymore, and that's certainly been proven out because everyone that they got rid of, all those old salary dumps either are all invisible currently in the NFL or not in the league. So to a man, every guy that Mike McCagden said we need to move on from, he was right. And he's been proven right by the rest of the league. Um, But they weren't tanking. In a sense, that tanking is losing on purpose. Tanking is what the 76ers were doing. You know, tanking is you are intentionally putting the worst players you can on the floor, on the, on the field, whatnot, to try and lose, to try and get 
a draft choice. And, you know, everyone's mocked the Jets' talent level, and in certain cases, I guess rightfully so, but they're putting the best players that they've got out there every Sunday. Like, they're starting a 38-year-old quarterback. You don't start a 38-year-old quarterback if you're trying to lose. If you're trying to lose, you start the 22-year-old quarterback that doesn't know anything, and you let him go out there and make all his mistakes. But they're not doing that. So they, I mean, if, you know, if you would have turned them on that first week and seen all of their best players standing on the sideline with their helmets under their arms, then you're right. Yes, then they would be tanking. Now right. we're intentionally playing the worst we've got, trying to lose. They were never trying to do that, but they did need to reload their team in terms of salary cap space, draft choices. You know, trim the top of the roster off because they knew they couldn't compete or beat the Patriots this year, and ultimately they still won't be able to. And it's fun to have this game this Sunday. No one ever saw the fact that this game would be an event that, that you know, you actually have to kind of hype the Jets here. So that, that'll be fun while it lasts. But long term, I think we all know what kind of a team they are. They're a below 500 team. But they weren't tanking. They're not trying to lose. They just, you know, I think had an introspective look at their situation last year and made moves because of it. No, I like it. And, uh, you know, I think that's where people kind of, as you say, misconstrue the idea. And the players on the field when the game starts are obviously trying their, their best to win. And as you say, Josh McCown right. at quarterback is going to do the best he can to win, whether he's uh, the future of the franchise. It uh, doesn't matter uh, once the, the game kicks off on Sundays. Uh, Bilal Powell, you know, it's funny, just kind of getting for, ready for these games as we do. He's a guy that I – you know, in college football, never felt like a standout or whatever, and he's been a, a legit uh, NFL running back to this point. The Patriots game this weekend, and I see people are uh, you know joking that the Patriots have something to do with the fact that there was a power outage at Jets practice today, which is, uh, again, again, to add intrigue to it. Does it feel like, uh, you know, I think you just alluded to it, the, the Patriots, it's probably a foregone conclusion they're still going to win the division, but I, I see the Jets and the, the Bills licking their chops to, to get them while it seems as though the Pats have some time to uh, figure some things out on the defensive end especially. Yeah, I mean, right now they look vulnerable, at least on that side of the limited offensively. So even against a bad defensive team, they're probably not capable of more than a couple of touchdowns, you know, 17, 20 points. So they'll have to win a low-scoring game if they win it. But, hey, look, the fact that the Patriots come in here with any question marks, even remotely, about whether or not they could potentially lose a game to the Jets is beyond anyone's wildest imagination of what they thought this season was going to be about. The Patriots were supposed to be able to moonwalk their way to 12 or 13 wins because they're playing in this division where one team gets a quarterback who can't play out of a broadcast booth and gives them $10 million. <laughs> the other two teams are basically sending everybody out the door just to accumulate draft choices. And now, week six, I mean, past the, a third of the way through the season, the Jets are playing a game at home for first place in the division against that same team. So, you know, look, they probably won't play a kind of quote-unquote big event game the rest of the season. This is probably going to be it. But the fact that they're even giving their fans this moment, this reason to show up at the stadium, you know, this week to anticipate this game is fun. You know, it's, it, you know I get that there are some fans out there that think that ultimately this season is not going to produce what it needs to produce, which is a top draft choice, that they're going to do exactly what you wouldn't want them to do, right. and that is win just enough so they don't get one of those quarterbacks. 
but just in the microcosm of this season. Never thought we were going to have a game like we got on Sunday to look forward to, and it's fun to look forward to. Jets and Pats uh, this Sunday. Bob Wachusen, the play-by-play voice of the Jets on the radio, is with us. And uh, of that group of three, the Pats, the Bills, and the Jets, all tied atop the AFC East. The Jets, the only one uh, with a negative point differential on the season, uh, being outscored at this point by uh, 14 points altogether. But that's uh, not what matters. They've they've won three versus losing two so far. So, Bob, you said you got the uh, Michigan-Indiana game this weekend. I wonder from a, a broadcaster perspective what it's like to catch uh, Jim Harbaugh after another kind of missed opportunity there against Michigan State. First loss of the year for uh, the Wolverines, and now they're on the road for two in a row. Yeah, we talked to him yesterday. He's not real happy, I guess is probably a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think that it's funny how fast the vocal minority is given a platform sometimes in sports. Like three years ago, could you have imagined any Michigan fan coming off of Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke and what Michigan football had become three years later getting on Harbaugh? But Harbaugh has raised expectations now to the point that, hey, if you're playing for the national championship, you should be in the Big Ten championship game every year. We should be winning that division. We should be in the college football playoff. And, you know, we're, we're preseason ranked top ten, top seven. Um, NFL talent. Look at all the, the whole defense last year seemed to go to the NFL. So he has raised expectations now where the knock on him is can't beat the rivals. He's 1-2 and two against Michigan State. He's 0-2 oh against Ohio State with the third Ohio State game still to come this year. So that vocal minority now is crushing Harbaugh for the rivalry game years, as if he's Brady Hoke or Rich Rodriguez <laughs> when they were below 500. Um, so how quickly they forget, but... It's also what have you done for me lately? And he needs now, now. They have, if you look at the rest of their schedule, they still have games at Penn State next week. They play uh, at Wisconsin, and they've got the Ohio State game at home. If they win those three, which I would then think would mean they're running the table, I don't think there's anybody else on their schedule that they're going to lose to. Not Rutgers. If they won those three games, I think they'd be in the playoff. Yeah, Rutgers and Minnesota, Maryland mixing the Minnesota's decent. Rutgers and Maryland are awful. And uh, the other three that you listed are all in the, the top ten. So uh, it is it is out there for them. So good stuff. Always appreciate your perspective, my friend. Uh, now, will we get to see you uh, next weekend? Is that going to be a uh, double-dip weekend for you in Miami if you got the Syracuse at Miami game I thought might fall into your uh, lap and then the Jets and Dolphins I, the next day? Yeah, I, I would think that there's a very good chance that those logistics might float across somebody's desk at ESPN. We've not been told <laughs> yet, but uh, – I think the person that books the flights and the car rentals might say, oh, wait a minute. Here's a, here's a couple bucks for my vehicle. You never know. I, I picture you being a, like a mini travel agent. I know a lot of you guys are uh, that do the ESPN thing and you zigzag across the country. But in your particular case, you have a college game on a Saturday and a NFL game on a Sunday, as only a few people do in America. Uh, you might be urging said uh, travel agent a, a little bit. Yeah, it's a little hairy sometimes on Saturdays. Okay. Well, good. We'll hope to see you. And if, if we do, we'll compare notes, okay? All right, Matt. Be good. Appreciate your time. That's Bob Wischusen of uh, ESPN. Great guy. Great perspective on a lot of things there. Could have uh, touched base on many more, but uh, we'll uh, get our little taste there of the Jets, see how they do this weekend against the Pats. Bill's also uh, in the mix.
at three and two atop the AFC East. Breaking the action here. We're going to talk soccer a little bit. It's kind of a hodgepodge type of program for us today. A lot of fun, a lot of topics to move through in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. Redemption for Joe Girardi, the embattled Yankees manager, oversaw the Bronx Bombers' Game 5 win over the Indians after some poor showings earlier in the series. Third baseman Todd Frazier thinks Girardi deserves the credit, saying, quote, this one is for Joe. Very dramatic there. Joe. Thank you. Making us embattled. When you put embattled in front of somebody's name, it's not generally a good thing. Uh, yeah, we just talked about that with, with uh, Bob, but Girardi should be the manager of the Yankees next year. If he's not, it'll be by his choice, uh, and that also would be a, a bit unusual, but uh, they should stick together. If they don't stick with him, he's going to end up either a Red Sox well, he might go to the, you know, I've heard Tyler would go to the Marlins. If he yeah. goes to the Marlins, then that's kind of a gearing down type thing, getting yeah. away from the, the day-to-day grind of managing in New York. I don't see him going to the Red Sox, uh, but that would be, the again, the pressure cooker. I hear the you know Red Sox are talking about Brad Ausmus, who has uh, New England ties and what have you, and certainly ties to Dave Dombrowski, the general manager. But I always think it's funny. Why are you firing your manager to pick up somebody that wasn't good enough for a team that you're way better than? You know, um, so a lot of this is crazy. Uh overreaction in in most of these cases. Sean Diddy Combs is interested in buying the NFL. Although the music mogul has not made a formal offer, Combs tweeted out, quote, sell me the NFL now. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a very formal offer. Who who would he make it? And how do you spell bazillion? (laughs) One bazillion dollars is what it would. I, I think just conservatively, if you looked at the values of NFL teams and you were trying to put a price tag on it, not only if you added them all up, is that in the neighborhood of $75 billion, okay? You'd have to pay way more than that, right, to, to get all these owners to s- sign out and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to tap out and I'm not going to be the owner of this, this team anymore from teams, you know, from the Cowboys down to the the Bills or the Jaguars or whatever, Um just an incredible amount of value, and you have to have quite the bake sale to raise money if you're Diddy Combs. I did some research. He is worth $800 million. It's not bad. Buffalo Bills' cheapest NFL team is worth $1.2 billion. Yeah, he'd have to get some friends together, I would With think. an operating cost of $53 million. So you have to buy it and then have $53 right. million more to operate the teams. So. Yeah. Well, at least run it for one more year yeah. before you <laughs> take it in the ground. It'd make the logos and the uniforms and stuff look a little different if P. Diddy was involved. <laughs> and the owners of the house made famous on Breaking Bad is putting a fence around their property to keep people from throwing pizzas on the roof, as Walter White did in an episode. I got to admit that I am uh, Breaking Bad illiterate. It is on my list of uh, Netflix shows to binge at some point, but uh, that will not be during the football or basketball seasons. So. I got to get caught up. I think there's a lot of those famous houses, though, that are in movies and and whatnot. That probably have. who who does this though? Like who who thinks that's a, a fun time? Hey, let's go, you know, to the house that 
Once the the, the Christmas story was out or the whatever. The Goonies people, house gets it a lot. The Goonies yeah. house gets a lot of visitors. I've never seen Breaking Bad. I either. don't understand why why the people do that. Show. What one thing I do care about, what's with the sweatshirt? The, the, is that a George Orwell 1984 sweatshirt? And what would possess you to have This apparently has been that? a topic of conversation today. It's the year I was born. So was, that you're just celebrating that? As well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. In the schoolhouse rock font is what <laughs> I like to say. It's yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's the font, I mean, from the cover. I mean, it refers to the book, 1984, I would think, right? They don't just make generic dollar store hoodies well, the, every year. That I you go do buy own a... Old Navy surfing 1972 shirt that is pretty generic that I bought because it was the so year. You got 12 I was born. years on Joe. Yeah, so. you bought it for that reason, huh? Yeah, 1972. You don't just know the year that you're born. It you also need, said Oceanside, the town wear. I'm from. So okay, well, it was a double whammy for that's, me. You know, that's a win-win. Real turn on there. <laughs> All right, back to talk soccer. Two two things I didn't really think I would would talk about getting getting into this program. Diddy Combs, your clothes. Soccer next. We're really on a roll on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Sunday, the Giants head to the Mile High City to face the Broncos. Pre-game at 7.30. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio in Syracuse is brought to you by Burdick Ford, CNYRealtor.com, and CH Insurance. Good to have you with us here until 3 o'clock today. Tomorrow, a preview edition of the show, looking ahead to the Oranges matchup with Clemson in the Dome on Friday night, and then we're back next week on Monday. You know, earlier this week, and while we're talking about a lot of different things, there was the baseball rain out and whatever, and then boom, U.S. men's national team in soccer loses to Trinidad and Tobago, and the whole world ceases to spin on its axis, but... Uh, Got to play dumb on this one, and it's really not much of a stretch as we welcome in Paul Mayers. Paul is a friend of and co-author of our friend Richard Shaw, who does some of our uh, ACC Network Extra uh, broadcast of uh, Syracuse men's and women's soccer. And hello, Paul. Good to you. How are you doing, Matt? Okay. I, I'm great. Thank you, and thanks for your time. Uh, you know, normally I, I sit here and I try to tell the, the world what I know about sports, and I'm going to, in this one, I know just enough to be dangerous, I think, about soccer so we thought we would walk through this uh with your expertise and uh you maybe tell us uh, what's going on here and what what can be fixed paul is the uh, co-author with richard of a, a book called coaching outside the box and uh, richard tells me that uh, maybe you guys foretold this a little bit that uh united states soccer is going about it the wrong way and it would uh pay with some bad ramifications here and uh the uh americans yeah. aren't going to be in the next world cup yeah, I mean, I'm certainly, uh, you know, I'm certainly no profit. Um, I can certainly try my best in, in answering the, the question you posed. Um, you know, Richard and I, like you said, we've been speaking about it now for 15, 20 years. Um, it, it's been a culmination matter of years of, you know, bad practice at the youth levels. People are looking at Klinsman, people look at Bruce Arena, people look at the players they've got now. Really, it's just, you know, you reap what you sow, and. Um, Unfortunately, at the youth levels of the game, there's massive issues. There's been massive, massive issues now for, like I say, 15, 20 years. There's too much emphasis on team development. There's too much emphasis on tournament play. There's too much emphasis on elite development way too early. Um, and basically, all these, these factors get thrown into the pot, thrown into the mix. And what you get is, is what you're seeing right now. You're seeing a, a roster of American players where, you know, they lack creativity, imagination. Um, listen, there's some good players, some some pretty decent players, but in terms of actual world-class talent, 
um, you know, there's a, there's a massive lack of that. And, and that basically boils down to the stuff we, we speak about in the book. Too many coaches are putting the emphasis on winning at all costs. Um, and, and the pay-to-play model, Matt, that's a massive, massive issue because what it does is it gives this perception that we call it the help illusion. Um, it gives this perception that if you pay a certain amount for coaching fees, people think that you're getting expertise and you're getting fantastic coaching. When, in actual fact, we see that that, is, that isn't happening right across the board, right across the nation. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it's the truth, and we've got to say it, some people are more, more motivated by greed uh, than, than development. Uh, so all these, these issues manifest and, and, and you, you get to the result that we, we witnessed the other night. All right, well, let me see if you can help me uh, walk through this. So, And correct me if I'm wrong in, in some of my assumptions or observations from a distance. So in America, if you're, you know, you're here and you're a suburban kid and you show some interest and ability in soccer, you're 8, 10, 12, and now mom and dad go out of pocket to put you on these travel teams and you're playing year-round and you're coached by somebody who knows what they're doing and you play a zillion games and you go off, right? So am I right so far? Yeah, yeah, okay. pretty much, yeah. So 10 or 12-year-old, so that's 10 or 12-year-old Johnny here. 10 or 12-year-old uh, Liam, where you're from, what, what's his experience? So in England, it's a lot different. The, the pay-to-play model, uh, well, not just England, it's in Europe, pretty much everywhere in Europe. You, basically, you've got, you've got clubs, um, kind of like rep clubs in America, where you go and play just for you know a pastime and you enjoy it. You don't pay any fees, Matt. Mm-hmm. When Pick you up, get to 10, kinda. 11, 12, if, you ident- if, if, if you've got potentially a little bit of talent, then the professional academies will come in. So the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, and this goes, you know, there's, there's many, many tiers of this. Uh, and the players, again, they don't have to pay for this. They will go there to these academies and get specialised training. Um, and this tournament circuit, this obsession with, you know, um, pay-to-play, it doesn't exist. So what it, what it does, Matt, is it, it opens the potential talent pool. You know what I'm saying? It, it basically means that we've got a wider range of players to, to select from. And what what happens in America, because of, because of this pay-to-play model, you're simply just excluding massive amounts of potential talent that could flourish given the, the right circumstances and the right environment. Is that because they choose other sports? I think that the cliché explanation in America is the reason uh, the United States is not a national or international uh, player and a threat to win the World Cup every time is because yeah. the best athletes in America are LeBron James and football players and, and they're, they're doing yeah. other things. Is that bunk or, or accurate? Well, it's an interesting point and it's an interesting argument and the, 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 the response to that that I always give is people become obsessed too much with physicality and speed and, and being a, an athlete. When actual, in actual fact, the elite players who have who attained elite status, the likes of Messi, Paul Scholes, Luka Modric, Iniesta, Xavi, people who are well versed with soccer will know these players at Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United. They're five foot six, five foot seven, five foot eight. Mm-hmm. They're not actually they've not got innate fantastic qualities in terms of physicality. What separates them that is decision making, spatial awareness. Uh, anticipation skills, peripheral vision, fast decision making, and what and, and what happens in America a lot. And listen, I'm not just bashing America here. This happens in the UK, by the way. We've seen Scotland get you know knocked out of the qualifying rounds um, only a few days ago. So this is not just 
exclusively to the United States. This happens in a lot of areas. But what a major, major reason this is happening, uh, the lack of decision-making and, and, and game intelligence skills, is because kids aren't in unstructured, um, unsupervised uh, soccer activity when they're young. So what happens between the ages of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, they should be playing in an environment where there's minimal culture intervention, they can get on with it, uh, there's, there's got freedom to be creative, freedom to make their own decisions. So back to the question that you, that you made. Yeah, there are, there are other sports, in, you know, the, the sports space, the sport landscape in America, these sports are there, they're not going anywhere. Baseball, American football, um, basketball, they're here to stay. However, that argument that they just recruit, you know, they've just got the best athletes, it doesn't really stand for me because in actual fact, when you go to the elite levels of the game anyway, you see many, many cases where innate physicality isn't just the main difference. It's, it's the decision-making, like I say. Sure. Well, you know, obviously Lionel Messi, who all of us know, I, I don't care how little soccer you watch, you, you know that he's among the best in the world. He's not a yeah. threat to play any of those other sports, you, you know, uh, based on just his size alone, but obviously has uh, has a gift. Uh, it, it's interesting. Yeah. I think probably all sports could learn from – letting kids just sort of play and figure it out on their own for a little while. They develop uh, maybe their own uh, better decision-making. And, th- and that's true in basketball and football, too, I would think, um, before you start uh, dealing with overcoaching. Uh, we're visiting with Paul Mares from uh, Coaching Outside the Box, and he's involved in the, the local soccer scene. And I was saying, as it relates to the stuff that we deal with most of the time here, which is Syracuse University sports, Paul, yeah. I, you know, I've, I follow the team. I know the coaches. I, I watch a little bit. Um, and to me, the fact that, and, and they're having a little bit of a down year in part because they have 16 new players, the the very fact that most of elite college soccer in America is a lot of Europeans coming over indicates to me that, uh, there's a tough time with 15 to 18 year old, you know, high school age recruitable athletes. Uh, there's not enough good ones in America maybe to, uh, field the best college soccer teams. Well, well, this is what you're getting now. And we take we take a lot of kids over to England and and, and Europe, and they see the level, they see the the discrepancy there. They it's like wow, you know, we our lives and then a lot of players who are discarded by leading academies now, especially in the UK, they're actually coming over and taking the spots in America. They're they're getting the scholarships, so you're getting kids who play that you know for Norway U18 team or the Norway U21 team, uh, you know the Scotland U19 team. So. There's this quality in abundance coming over, which is making it even more difficult for the for the local kids to, to get any spots on, on the rosters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, Matt. I mean, I don't want to sort of diverge, but it, I was reading some research the other day that even though soccer, in terms of, um, you know, spectatorship and people watching the, the EPL and stuff on, on TV, those figures are rising. But alarmingly, and not surprisingly um, for Richard and I, it, the, the, the participation rates in a lot of youth sports in particular, a lot of team sports, they're actually on the decline. So compared to 2008, compare that with, with now, I think it's, it's gone down like 9%, 10%, which is a massive, massive uh, reduction. And the reason is people are just getting sick and tired of the, the fakery, and the, 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 the misguided promises, the, you know, the early focus on elite development, kids just traveling from state to state to state, getting burnt out. And it's, Unfortunately, you've seen the reward, uh, not the reward, you've seen the, the opposite, you've seen the, the, the outcome of it, yeah. 
coach, yeah. Hmm. And it, it, it's sad, you know, it's sad to see. All right, well, that's uh, good stuff. We feel smarter about it now. We're running out of time here, but uh, I guess the, the, there's a lot of time for the uh, American soccer community to get it figured out here because they'll, they'll be sitting out the next World Cup, so got to build it up uh, to the one after that. Uh, Paul, thanks for your time, and, uh, and best of luck, okay? Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay, maybe we'll do it again with Paul Mayers from uh, coaching outside the box and uh, the next World Club that the uh, Americans could be in, which we were talking about it last week, is the one in Qatar in 2022. That might not be any picnic to be in, and maybe that'll be somewhere else. Maybe it's hosted here. That brings about a whole other kettle of fish. All right, show tomorrow previews the game. Looking forward to it. The Orange and Clemson be there in the Dome this Friday night at 7. For Joe and Polly and the whole gang, thanks to our guests as well. ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get the latest about Syracuse football. Get a preview of every game from Coach Dino Babers. You know, we're going to have the toughest schedule in the country next year. I'll push all in on anybody. It's not lip service. Look at the schedule. Get recaps from former players and the media that follows every play. Uh, he is obviously the best quarterback on the roster right now. It does not take watching many minutes to discern that. No one brings you more Syracuse football. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.5 and 100.1. Sits a buck 25. Or making sure your AC stays running like a gazelle. And now, when you buy a Napa Legend battery, you'll get a prepaid Visa card by mail worth $15. $15 back and a new battery? That's not just legendary. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer expires 731.17. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Ooh, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% of